Sally and Danielle talk with Tara Brown and get an update since she and her husband Curtis shared his story of same-sex attraction in 2014 as part of the Voices of Hope project. Tara talks about knowing that something was off in the home after having been married for 16 years, but how she couldn't put her finger on it. After Curtis chose to open up about his experience with her, Tara reached out for support and found resources that helped her better understand her husband. She goes on to share the conversation they had when they talked about choosing to continue to be in a marriage together or not, and what that meant for her. She also details why she chose to stay and how their marriage is at its strongest today because of the growth they've had through their personal work. Tara's journey of understanding has since led her to helping others to the point of becoming a life coach. She also discusses beginning to work with other women in similar situations and how that's led her to fostering retreats for women who can often get lost in their own journeys as they help others. They all discuss some of the hardships that all women experience and how many need help, which is something she's brought into her own congregation at church. Tara also shares what continues to give her hope and how she looks to the future. All of that and more on today's Voices of Hope podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Voices of Hope podcast. I'm Sally Ferguson, and I'm here with Danielle Mansfield. We will be your host today, and we are excited to talk to Tara Brown. And she is, she has a Voices of Hope from 2012, maybe a long time ago. (laughs) And (laughs) and we're going to get an update on her life and really her side of things. And um, so she is a spouse of a man who experiences same-sex attraction, and she can go into more of that. But without further ado, Tara, will you introduce yourself and start there? Sure. My name is Tara. I, um, I just celebrated my 50th birthday this summer. Oh my so, the new 40. I know. And I actually am just loving it. I I'm very comfortable with where I am now. And, um, so my husband and I've been married 27 years Oh my and gosh. we met when we were 15. Uh, so that was a few years before that. Probably. I don't even know a lot seven years before that. So we knew each other for a long time. We were not high school sweethearts. Everyone said, when I tell people that we met when we were 15, they say, Oh, that's so cute. And I say, no, that's not quite our story, but we did know each other. We were friends and I wrote to him while he was on his mission. So we've been married 27 years. We have four amazing kids, three of whom are adults, two in college right now. And one that is um, in high school, he's a sophomore and he is crazy. He just came home with his fifth instrument. He said to me, my symphony teacher needed me to play the tuba. So I'm going to play that in the concert this week instead of my instrument. (laughs) Just one week notice. Yeah. A couple of days, actually. Yeah. So I am a life coach. I have been doing that about 10 years and that really came as a part of my healing. Before that, I spent 30 years. I had a 30-year career making custom wedding gowns. I have a degree from BYU in historical costume and fashion design. And they don't even teach any of those classes there anymore. But 
I really loved working with brides and found myself counseling them a lot, honestly. Mm -hmm. And, um, after my husband came out to me and the, all the therapy that we had done, I really found, um, a new passion and a new lease on life. And so I just, I love what I do now. Yeah. That's me in a nutshell. Tara, can you tell us, this is Danielle, Tara, can you tell us how many years into your marriage was it when Curtis actually came and told you that he experienced these attractions to men? Mm -hmm. We were married 16 years when he, um, we had been, I actually, I tell people all the time. I thought we had a fairy tale life. I thought I had a fairy tale life that everything was just kind of going smooth sailing. Um, but I, I also felt this really disconnect. And I remember saying to him a few months before, before he told me there's something in the house. I don't know what it is. I just like, there's something here and I feel it's here and I'm trying to get to the bottom of it, but I don't know what it is. And I can't put my finger on it. And I imagine at that time he was like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) she's going to find out. You said that to Curtis. I did. I did. I just knew I, I really assumed that it was something going on with one of the kids or, um, I really didn't know what it was, honestly. And so then about a month after that, my brother and his wife invited us. Their ward was doing a special fireside actually in the chapel that the bishop called Your Family in a Sexually Explicit World. And he talked a lot about pornography, the internet, how to protect your home, what to do. And he said in there, husbands, or he he basically said, wives, when you go home tonight, I want you to ask your husband, when was the last time he looked at pornography? Not if he did, but when was the last time? He said, because chances are there was a time, whether it was a long time ago or yesterday. And I remember hearing that and thinking, oh, well, that's not it. It's It's got to be one of the kids. And so I didn't ask on the way home because he was fully prepared for me to ask that night. And so it took another month for him to come out. Um, one morning we got up, I was getting ready to go to the gym he was laying in bed. He was really emotional. And he just sat up and said, I really, we need to talk. And and, (laughs) no wife really wants to hear those words. I think I've heard, I've heard so many stories about, um, when people say those words, but I just sat down on the bed. I grabbed a pillow. I put it in my lap and I just listened as he told me about his attractions, about his addictions, about, um, the things that he'd been struggling with. And, because of my pattern, because of my family history, um, I just, I didn't have any emotion and I was shocked. I really thought he was, he could have said, I say in my voices of hope video, he could have said, I'm going to the moon tomorrow. And I wouldn't have been any more shocked. I just, I really had no idea. Some women say, Oh, I kind of had an inkling or I thought I'd seen something or whatever, but I really had no idea. And I didn't know what that meant for me. And I didn't know what that meant for us moving forward. And in some ways, I think that was a blessing because I didn't have any preconceived ideas about what had to happen after that. But, um, that ensued the year that we kind of jokingly call the year mom and dad spent in the laundry room talking. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me 
more about that. I, maybe I need that. <laughs> we just, you know, we found ourselves, actually some of our deepest conversations happened at the grocery store. And I know a lot of people say they have really deep conversations at night in bed when the lights are off, like when you don't have to be facing each other and talking. But we would like, I remember sitting on the counter in the laundry room and just closing the door and being like, now what about this? And what about that? And just having these conversations and places where, you know, at the time my oldest was um, 12. And so we had little kids who were just, you know, kind of fending for themselves, honestly, sadly now. Um, But we needed Curtis and I needed that time to kind of figure stuff out. And, um, so yeah, we, we, we jokingly call it the year we spend in the laundry room. (laughs) Yeah. So moving forward, I, I know that, that, I mean, it wasn't just done in a year, the year wasn't done. There was still life. So what did your life look like moving forward for you, your family and for you, especially? Yeah. I know, I know there in your voices of hope video, you said something about, um, to Curtis, like not really understanding where that put you and the kids, because you're like, I'm not a man. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> what does this mean for us? And you didn't talk about it. Right. I think that, well, first of all, I will say Sorry, you I didn't talk to other people about it. About I should have right. said you guys were talking about it. Yeah, but. we were talking, but yes, we didn't. And that was a conscious choice because, and I'm so thankful. And I tell people that now, like, until you know what your answers are, it's probably not a good mm-hmm. idea to tell too many people because you, because oftentimes what happens is you end up needing to support them or they need your support or they have questions and you don't have the answers and it can spiral really fast. So until you like have a good handle on it, it's, it's actually not a great idea to just come out and tell everyone or even, um, you know, I remember one of the first things I said was, well, I'm not going to be telling my mom this. (laughs) And, um, in actuality, I didn't tell my mom until we were going to tell her together and through a series of events, and my voice, our voices of hope video came out one Monday morning and I ended up at my parents' house an hour before it went live telling them everything because he was out of town (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I had drugged my feet and waited so long. I wasn't quite ready to tell them that. And part of it was because I didn't want their opinion to change of him. I, Mm -hmm. I was trying in a lot of ways, I was trying to protect him and I didn't realize that then, but I was protecting me for sure, but I was also protecting him and, so yeah, anyway, I didn't, I didn't end up telling them. Cause I think I said that in the video too. Like I wasn't going to tell my mom cause we had a really close enmeshed unhealthy relationship at the time. And so I wasn't about to shatter that for her too. But when Curtis told me I spent a good nine months, maybe a little longer other than in the laundry room in my bed, just watching TV, just ignoring and avoiding and numbing and not knowing who to go to. I remember thinking, well, I can't look that up on the internet. I don't even know what I would type in. Like my husband says he's attracted to men or, you know, like I just didn't know what that meant for me. And so I didn't, I was afraid. And so I just hid my head under the pillow. And then we went to some counseling and I found some help and some hope. And then after we had been in this program for about a year, I had a friend who came to me and said, I'm going to take this class from this life coach. And I think, I don't know. I just think maybe you would like it. And I remember looking down at the paper and I just looked up at him and I said, yeah, I'm going to be there. And I handed it to my 
girlfriend, Marianne, and I said, look at this. And she said, well, if you're going, I'm going. And all of a sudden we had a whole class like that we filled with people that were going to take this life coaching class. And I think uh, I came to two classes of that and it was such a great group of people and the coolest things that you guys were learning and doing. Yeah. It's amazing. It was really, did you know each other? Mm -hmm. Me and Tara? Yeah. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been years now. I think my baby, my baby, my baby at the time was Eva. And so she is now eight and a half. She's almost nine. So Tara, let me clarify. So you did the video, but your mom didn't know at the time there were still people in your life when you guys made your video that didn't know you were still kind of doing this on your own, but you had a little bit of a community. You knew people in North star. You obviously knew Ty. Mm-hmm. Right. That right. was kind of when that all started forming. Right. So that's right. how you, how did you get connected with those resources? Was it, Through my was therapist. it Curtis? No, was your therapist? It, was, it was my therapist who actually introduced me to Tanya Benyon. And okay. then that's how we got, got to know North star. And so I started attending her support group. I know I listened to her podcast yesterday, um, mm-hmm. voice of hope. And, oh, good. Um, so I started attending her support group and that's how I found North Star. And so I introduced it to Curtis. Okay. And so, sorry, I interrupted you. So okay. you started attending this class and then for you, where did that take you? So interestingly enough, in my patriarchal blessing, it says I will have hard things happen to me in my life so that I will know how to help other people. And I like never heard that until very specific. Yeah. You're like, is this what the wedding dress is? <laughs> I know. Is that true? You know how you don't like, you know how you read it and you don't hear things or you don't like really click until it you're just like, doesn't oh. make sense till it makes sense. Right. And you're like, oh my gosh, this, it, this is exactly what it's talking about. Right. Yeah. And so it's, that's kind of what happened. And so part of this course became an apprenticeship where we had to do some practice sessions. And so I was kind of just like, Hey, I'm, you know, doing these little practice sessions. If anyone wants to learn any of the stuff that I'm learning and it just morphed. And then I have people, you know, coming from all over kind of out of nowhere, sometimes, um, sending me messages and asking for support. And honestly, the best form of advertising is word of mouth, right? Like this person really helped me. And I think she has some tools that can help you too. For sure. So did I have a question at what point in there, did you feel like you could start helping other people because you were in bed watching TV and then you started attending these classes? Like, did you feel like, okay, I'm starting to understand this place that I'm in mm-hmm. and like, where, where was Kurt? Like you, did you understand that like your marriage was okay? What, what was it that allowed you to start or was it just, I'm going to share I'm going to talk. So one of the first things we did before we did the therapy group, we actually went to 12 step and and step 12 is like share, right? Share what you know and help other people so that lift them up. And, um, I've always had that drive to be a teacher, to like share what I know. And so I think it was a natural, as soon as I had enough footing and, and yeah, our marriage, you know, it was not pretty from that day. It was not hell, like some women say, but it was hard. I mean, Curtis had, you know, he had his own struggles to deal with. And I just learned really early on that I couldn't do that work for him. 
it was interesting. I'm the oldest of five. And when we got married, the day we got married, like my mom said, a very few, like very profound things. But one of the things she said to Curtis was, I think Tara found the one man in the whole world (laughs) that she couldn't be the boss of. (laughs) I was like, that's rude, (laughs) but it's kind of like maybe true. I'm, I'm pretty good at taking over. And because I'm the oldest, I was really good at being in charge and I still can do that. But for whatever reason, there's like a lot of reasons, but there's absolutely no way in the whole wide world, if you know him, that he would allow me to be the boss or to be in charge of him at all. So, so he was doing his own. Yes. Kind of like work or work. whatever he was doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. You were doing your own. Yep. Which and I think is so important because some oftentimes as wives, especially we're like, this means so much to me, this, like this affects me and our family and everything. So I want to get in and I want to manage your work and I want to tell you what to do. And I want to, because I think that will make me feel safer if I can be in charge of you. And mm-hmm. I, I see it so often. And if anything, if I can help women to step back and be like, I'm going to give you space to allow you to do your own work while I do my own work. And then we'll be together for a while. It's a very parallel like mm-hmm. path. And sometimes one's a little bit farther along than the other and that's okay, but it's very parallel, but still like reaching out and holding hands, right? Still they're together with each other. If that makes sense. I just have to say one of the things early, early on in our marriage, Ty and I have been married now for 11 years, but early on in our marriage, I remember being at an experiential weekend and just thinking um, how grateful I was to be a part of this community of people where you had to, of necessity, you had to live life intentionally You had to be focused on being healthy emotionally and mentally. You had to be connected as a couple. And I think so many people, so many couples marry each other because they're like their hormones are crazy and they like similar things and they get along. And so they get married and then they just kind of do life and Mm -hmm. they're attraction, you know, ebbs and flows, just like every marriage. And they don't ever really have to look at anything. They can just continue to like coast if they want to. And I think, you know, as you're saying, Tara, um, how you had to do your work and Curtis had to do his work. I love that you guys were both focused, you know, like you said before, you had this fairy tale life as far as you understood it. And I think a lot of people feel that way, but then something, you know, comes up like this that causes you to say, okay, now it's time for me to actually look at what's going on with me and how I can be a better, healthier person. And I think that's crucial. It's crucial for every human being who ever wants to live their best life. But especially in this community, it's crucial to have a healthy and happy marriage. And I think, um, for couples in mixed orientation marriages, like the three of us are, who are not willing to do the work or when the wife is looking at the husband and being like, let me just manage your work for you. Cause I know what you need and I know what will help our marriage. Those are the times when things kind of don't really work so well because it, then it becomes like a scapegoat. This one issue that he has becomes the scapegoat for everything that goes on in the relationship. And I know for me, 
I have so much of my own garbage going on. You know, not that same sex attraction is garbage, but I have garbage going on and I have issues that I have to look at to come to the marriage as my best self. So anyway, that was kind of an aside, but I just really love how you brought that up because I think it mm-hmm. is so important and it's important to keep your eyes on your own plate, like stay in your own lane, do your own stuff and let your spouse do theirs so that you guys can come together, you know, as your best, most healthy whole selves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that I learned that because like I said, I thought I had a fairy tale life. I thought there's nothing wrong with my family pattern. You know, your family's crazy. Your parents just got divorced. <laughs> and I mean, like, you know, all of these things. And I mean, you know, I just remember thinking, well, there's nothing wrong in my family. And then when I opened my eyes and I saw my pattern, the way I reacted, the way I managed everyone in my life, except for him, the way, you know, just so many things that that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about emotions and emotional literacy and the things that I teach, because if you can spot your pattern, you can change it. But until you can see it, you don't have any you don't have any drive to change it. And so I told people all the time, awareness is your very first step. And as soon as you can see it, then you just get to sit with it until you're ready to make a change until you're ready to do something different. But yeah, for sure. Do your own work, not someone else's, not even your um, kids. Speaking of doing work, I don't know. I don't know if this is a good point, Sally. I'm not sure what you were about to say, but let me have a question. I'd love, really quick. Okay, go ahead. Then I have, I have, I should have told you that one. It's coming. <laughs> I have another question because I think maybe listeners want to know this. Was there a time where you either questioned whether your marriage was going to continue and obviously you're still married. So when did you know, okay, we're in this, mm-hmm. right? We're going to, we're in this together. So when I tell you that we met when we were 15, I knew when I was about 17 that he was my guy. (laughs) It took him a while to figure it out. Sorry. Yeah. And, um, and so I remember, I remember one conversation very poignant in our relationship where we were, he was struggling a lot. He was grieving the loss of a relationship that he had been having and some, and just maybe like that maybe this is where I'm going to be. Not that he didn't like, I always, I have always felt chosen and I, I appreciate that, but also felt like, how can you choose two things at once? Right. So I remember saying to him one day, finally, I can see how much you're hurting. And I know that this, like, this is like, there's this longing out there, right? There's this longing to be something different, to, to do something different. And I got to the point where I finally said to him one day, I love you enough that if that's what you actually want, if that's what you really want, then I'm going to let go and you can go do that. And I remember it was just like a split second. And he looked at me and he said, it's not what I want. I want to be here with you and the kids. And I think that that was our turning point when it was like, okay, I can hold space for you while you grieve and work through and deal with your stuff. If I know that you're choosing to be here and it's not, I didn't want to be the one that you're staying with out of duty or responsibility or obligation. I, and I have never, ever felt that way since that day, which is a gift, honestly. Tara, do you know how, how, where you guys were in your journey mm-hmm. at that point? Like how many, ask the same thing. how many years you guys, or what month, you know, just like he came yeah, out and he told you, you yeah. where, how long did that take for you guys to really have that conversation? 
a long time. He came out to me and then introduced me to his friend. (laughs) And we, that conversation was probably a good two or two and a half years into after he came out to me. So it wasn't an easy, and it, and it's so, and it wasn't smooth sailing after that. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, like you said, Danielle, at this point in our marriage, SSA is like, whatever it, it's not, it doesn't, you're talking right now. Yeah. Right now. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not the thing, the things that we deal with are different. Their kids, their money, their jobs, their like, you know, stresses of life. It's not the SSA at this point is not, it rears its head when there's stress. Right. And it, Mm -hmm. it comes to the forefront every once in a while, but it's not, it's not the thing. And, and I actually don't know the, the date because I don't, um, celebrate or honor those dates at all. I know some women like know the date of everything and I actually don't. And on purpose, I I don't need to. So what made you stay? You said you knew when you were 17. I I just think like if someone were listening to this, they're like, why did you care to even entertain to stay? Because I could see, oh, go ahead, Danielle. I was just going to say, just to clarify what Sally just said, when you said that you knew when you were 17, that means you knew that you were meant Sorry. to be with Curtis. Yeah. Yeah. Not well, that I knew you... that I wanted to. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, you that wanted you... to be with Curtis. Right. Fairy I... tale life with Curtis. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. He's <laughs> so handsome. He still is, but he, he is. is just he's... a dreamboat. And he's so fun and funny. Yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. yeah. He, I think that, so your question is, when did I know, or why did you sorry, stay? I lost your question. Why did you, oh, why? why did you stay? And why did, why did you not just like throw in the towel? Yeah. I mean, that's I a long stayed, time. Yeah. I stayed for, at first I stayed f- to save face uh-huh. and, um, to, and because, well, like I said, I was so shocked. I really didn't, it never, it actually never even crossed my mind to leave. Okay. But okay. That's interesting. But I also, I could, I know his potential. I've seen him at his greatest and I know what he's capable of. And I want to be there to live that with him. And that's really, I mean, that's the simplest way to say it, but really I can see, I can see with compassion and empathy that when he's hurting, he's hurting. And it doesn't, it, one of, (laughs) He used to say to me all the time at first, because I tell people I'm a rescuing recovery, recovering rescuer. Okay. Yeah. I can't even say it right. I like, I used to run in and rescue everyone, you know? And at first when we were doing our therapy and he, we learned about this and about rescuing and how I was doing it, I was like, well, I can do that for you, you know? And he would say to me, it's not your job. Like that is not, it's not always about you. And I would be like, oh, what, how can it not be about me? It hurts so much or it like, whatever, like, and if it's not about me, then I can't do anything to fix it. Yeah. And that like, then I really had to stare my pattern down in the face and be like, what, how, what else am I trying to make about me and to fix? And so when I learned how to just hold space for him, then our relationship just took off again. So today I would say, and I know that he, cause I've heard him say it even lately, our marriage is a million times stronger than it ever was then 16 years ago in the fairy tale. And, um, we can talk about everything. We can talk about nothing. We can sit 
in the car and, you know, not talk for hours, just being comfortable in the silence and just being with each other. And we can have super deep conversations still at the grocery store sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite aisle? <laughs> a lot comes up when you're in front of the cereal. Okay, seriously, I actually hate cereal. I hate it with I a passion. Too. I hate everything about it. I hate how it gets crunched on this counter and left with dried up milk. I hate how there's always an inch of sand in the bottom yeah. of the. I just hate it. The worst. Which is really funny because I know there's. I'm pretty sure they have a Voices of Hope video, but there's another. Um, couple that one of their rituals our friends that one of their rituals is every night they at the end of the day they go and get a bowl of cereal and eat it in bed and I'm like wow I wouldn't do that but it's like one of the things they love yeah that's like Curtis actually likes cereal but I just hate it hate everything about it Danielle do you want to um this is a good place yeah so yeah Tara um you are very involved in helping women to heal beyond just your life coaching. You do more. And I know, um, I don't even know the details, but I think it's with Tanya Benyon and Marianne Broberg. You guys created a series of different weekends, kinds of retreats for women to come and process in depth, um, without other distractions. I'd love for you to tell us more about how that came about and, and what that is. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the idea, well, the idea came from two places. So like I said, I just listened to Jeff and Tanya's uh, podcast where they introduced themselves and she talked a little bit about the wow conferences that we used to have mm-hmm. for North star. So I think I attended like the second one maybe. And then do after you want to, do you want to tell what that acronym, oh, yeah. acronym is? Yeah. Um, acronym. Acronym. <laughs> it's called women of worth. And it was an attempt to, give the wives or the spouses actually during that period of time, um, some chances to, to do some experiential work, to do some, um, have some time to connect and learn and grow on their own, a separate from their husbands. And so she, Tanya had arranged and put on the first couple of conferences. She's super brilliant at logistics and, um, putting things together, organizing and employing people to help. And so I remember after the first time that I had gone that she, I said to her, Hey, I could help with the next one, you know, if you want. And she was like, really? Cause no one like volunteers to help or not very many. Right. <clears throat> so I helped her do a couple of those. I think she said we did six of them together. Mm. So that first fun. one, did you participate in? I did. And then after that one, you said, Hey, I want to help you. Right. The first one that I actually, it was just not very long. It was during my, in my bed period, honestly. Oh, okay. <laughs> TV period. So the bed years. <laughs> I like to tell, I don't like to, but I'm, if I'm honest, I tell people I watched every episode of the OC twice. Oh my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I, it's bad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> when you're just avoiding and ignoring. Um, you're like, their all... advice is way worse than mine on the OC, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and at the time I didn't have teenagers. Now I look at it through totally different eyes. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. what in the world? Um, but yeah, it was during that period. And uh, and here's a, a good thing is like, I, so I jumped in and I was like, I could help with that, you know? And I, and I really had like baby feet. I didn't have any real thing underneath me yet, but I could help. I did the food the first couple of years. And oftentimes that's what happens. Women jump in and they're like, well, I just want to help everyone else until you like, don't have your baby feet under you anymore until you have some, a, a solid foundation or, you know, how you feel and what you think it's kind of hard to help people. You can, and I also believe, and I found this to be true that you can really only help people to the place where you are on the path. And so you, it's always good to have someone in your camp who's like right there with you in the thick of it because they know what it feels like today. But it's also good to have people farther along so that you can look at them and be like, oh, I could get there or this is how to get there or these are some steps I could take to get where I want to be. That makes total sense because I used to teach piano and I would tell people I can only teach your students so far Mm -hmm. and then you have to get another teacher because I don't know that. Yeah. Right. That makes so so much sense. Yeah. So I was here helping Tanya with those. And like I say, most, the first couple of years, I really just did the food. And then as I learned some more and grew some more then I, and in fact, one of the things she said to me was, well, we're going to use this book next time. We're going to read this book and we're going to talk about it. And this will be some of the basis for what we do next time. And I, and I bought the book the next day and I was like, well, I can read that book and I can, you know, so there was that. And then it kind of morphed into a place where I, cause I had gone to an experiential weekend for me and I came home and I said to my group, my, my, um, support group at Lifestar, I just went to this thing and it was amazing and it changed my world and it opened my eyes to so many things. And none of you can go because you're all married to men who are straight. Poor you. (laughs) And so, (laughs) so the combination of the two of those kind of created this desire to make it more accessible, the healing that we had found through the things that we'd done at the wow conferences and these experiential weekends and some of the other things that we'd read wanted to be able to open it up to more than just the wives of SSA. Mm -hmm. And so we had a couple of conversations. I remember we were planning a wow conference and we were really talking about the story of Esther and we were really wanting to create something that would be about her and having this perspective and vision of doing something even when you're scared, right? And relying on God to lead the way instead of trying to do it yourself. And we were having these conversations and I said to her, I I really feel passionate about this, but I, for some reason, the voice in my head from God is saying, this isn't for the wow conference. This is for something different. And And that is where we birthed Daughters of Light. So Daughters of Light is what we call it. And it is, um, we do one day events, we do two day events, and we do three day events where we go into the depths sometimes. Like the three day event, we have one coming up in a couple of weeks. It's called La Loba. It's about, it's about, it's a story from a book um, called Women Who Run With Wolves. And 
it is um, a story of a woman who wanders the desert to find up the pieces of herself that she lost along the way. And as wives and women, we do that so often. We give up part of ourselves in sacrifice to our families, which is a noble thing. But as um, as you find out later in your life, like you don't even, I, I have so many women I meet who don't know what their favorite color is or what they like to eat if they got to choose themselves or what they would do with a free hour if they didn't have any obligations. And, and did you tell like, them the OC? <laughs> I, I don't tell them the OC. <laughs> Just kidding. The OC and lots of chocolate. <laughs> no. Um, no, because I don't want to be prescriptive and tell them what right, they right, have right. to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but yeah, I, I'm i sorry. I shouldn't have interrupted. But like mm-hmm. you basically, you can get very lost in marriage and motherhood. Mm-hmm. So that, mm-hmm. as you say, you know, I, I a few years ago, I think Ty asked me what my hobbies were. And I was like, mm-hmm. I changed diapers. <laughs> but I changed you know? them well. And when you change really them, good. you I don't do it well. Today, you know? <laughs> Yeah. I love you. I love you so much. Um, but that's so true. So, so La Loba is the one that we do. That's the longest it's for, it's for women who want to recover and, um, from betrayal and trauma and, or right. Cause, and it's so interesting. I was at a UCAP conference, which is Utah coalition against pornography a couple of years ago, handing out flyers about La Loba and I would hand them out. And this one woman said, well, what's this for? And I said, this is a retreat for women who've experienced betrayal and trauma in their lives. And she looked at me and she said, well, I don't have that. And she handed it back. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Cause I think that we all have something, right? Yeah, sure. I think we all yeah. have something. And if you haven't, maybe haven't lived long enough yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Or maybe you were asleep like I was, just numb. Yeah. So, so we did create the Esther Weekend. Esther Weekend is about intuition, learning how your intuition speaks to you, because I think it speaks to everyone differently. So it's about your vision for your life. And and um, we have one called Sarah that's about boundaries. Oh, boundaries get taught so wrong so often. So mm-hmm. yeah, we have quite a few different things that we do together. And I love that. And I love those ladies. We've... Um, we've done a lot of great things together. You've done a lot of great things for a lot of women. Mm-hmm. You know, I have had the privilege of having Tara in my home and I feel like I have, I'm actually, I've never been to one of these weekends and I felt like I got that weekend in my living room for a <laughs> smidge second, because I feel like you are so great about just being present for women to, and listening to them. And I'm sure that's because of your experiences, right? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That was some sacred time for me too in your living room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So really quick, tell me a little bit about why you got into life coaching. Did that go with all of this? I think so. I think it came out of my desire to help other people. I tell one of the things I say a lot is I, I want to help women recover and rediscover their lives after betrayal and trauma, because I never want anyone to feel as alone as I did. Like I said, I didn't even know what to Google. And I, and the internet was, I mean, it was still relatively new and I just, I really had no idea what to Google, honestly. Yeah. Now, now I Google everything, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I just don't want anyone to feel that alone. That's why I speak so much. That's why I speak out and, um, reach out, you know, just to offer a listening ear because so many times you just need to be heard. 
Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's so, um, it's so needed both within the community as people try to gain understanding and try to heal. Because the thing is, even if you don't have a specific trauma point of something traumatic that happened in your marriage or in your relationship or whatever, we all have different traumas and different grieving that we have to do about what we thought we had or what we thought we were going to experience. We thought or, our fairy tale was going to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Or the fantasy that we had superimposed on our relationship or our life or on our children, whatever it is, there are things that come up in life that are just different. And um, we all have to go through, you know, when you say that, that you sat in bed for a year and watched the OC and ate chocolate to me that like, it's it's numbing out, but it's also a way of just grieving, yes. you know, just grieving what you thought that right. and trying to like process that and let go so that you can, you know, then embrace what you actually have. And like, this is my new reality and it's beautiful too. You know, we're going to create this beautiful life together, but it's different than what I thought. But I think all of us experience you know, Ty, um, I, this is not about me, but I had my, I have my own issues. And Ty said to me, um, recently, you live like a person who has experienced trauma. He was talking about my childhood and yet I don't have any singular points of trauma in my childhood, but there's, you know, just the way we go through life can create Mm -hmm. trauma you know, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. like repeat experiences or needs that go unmet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think what you're doing is beautiful. And I'm like, sign me up for all the weekends. Yes. <laughs> I want to come. know about all of this. <laughs> come, come, come. I love it. I think that's true. I think that, um, like I said, I actually don't look at that year as lost time. I agree with you that it was like sacred time for me to peel apart what was real and what was the show house, you know, like at the time I was in my thirties and I have this theory now, like, you know, in your thirties, you're still trying to prove it to everyone else. And in your forties, you get more comfortable and I can't wait to find out what the fifties are like. But, um, I think that peeling apart those parts of what I thought I had, I remember doing a vision board at at group with Tanya one night, which was all the things that I'd lost. Right. And, um, I found a coloring book page that had the Disney fairy tale castle and I slapped it right on in the middle of it. Cause I really feel like I lost that vision, but honestly, in the process now, I think that my castle is even more awesome than it was, than I thought it was then. Yeah. yeah it has different rooms in it now though. <laughs> so something I keep thinking is that, you know, as you talk about helping women, mm-hmm. we, in our church specifically, specifically, I feel like we really talk and teach the value of women, that it's so important that we need to, that mothers are crucial to the family, that, that their influence is so important. And I believe all those things, but, you know, I really feel like as a grown woman, that there's not a lot of resources and support within our church specifically to the hardship of being a woman and the really hard parts of motherhood and being a wife and the things that we cherish and value so much that it often, you know, maybe finds 
people in their bed. And how do you get out of those things? And how do you learn? And as you're speaking about these things, it really just touches places with me of like, women need help. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of trauma there of mm-hmm. this is the best thing you'll ever do being a woman and being a mother. And even if you're not, and then there's like, well, what if I don't have children, right? There's so many levels to this and like coming to a place of like being whole with yourself feels so unique because it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. I think that's interesting. We, I feel Curtis and I were having this conversation after church a few weeks ago and he was saying, you know, I just feel so disconnected from the guys in the elders quorum. And, and I was like, really? Cause honestly, in the last two years, I feel even more connected. I feel like there's several sisters to the sisters. Yeah. I feel like even more of us are like giving permission for people to share hard things for people Mm to, um, experience and like be honest about where you are. And we have created the sisterhood and release society where, where we can share those things and it's beautiful. And I leave like feeling connected and feeling so hopeful and compassionate and all of those things all at once. And so I think you can create those things, Mm -hmm. but I think that it takes people leading out with example. And yes, um, I was going to say, it's because you're there and you're helping that you're bringing that right, Danielle. Like that just doesn't happen. Well, you know, I, I think that's totally true. Um, When I was single on my singles ward there, you know, we used to say, I have a friend named Jenny Reader and we used to say Jenny Reader for General Relief Society president because she was so um, innovative in the way that she thought about things. And I remember her saying in Relief Society one day, this is not where we come to pretend. This is where we come to bring real problems and talk about real issues and how the gospel of Jesus Christ can help us in our mess, in our pain, in our sorrow. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but that's basically, and it, that's basically what she said. And it really opened my eyes. And I've always tried to experience Relief Society that way so that when we're getting together in Relief Society and we're meeting, I say, I'm showing up real here. I'm going to talk about the real stuff that's going on, the pain that I have in my mothering and in teaching my children the gospel and like the shame that I feel over not doing it according to like my own perfectionist ideas and like bringing real stuff. And I think like you say, Sally, when someone in the group is willing to be real, it gives permission for everyone to be real. Mm-hmm. And then once everyone is real, you can take that dive together and heal together. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it is, but I hear from every man <laughs> in the church, whoever talks about elders quorum, how it, how much it's just stunted. And I wonder if it's just not a safe place yeah. for men to be real because most of the guys that I know who are complaining are very real and very know how to do vulnerability, know how to do emotional connection, know how to get real and authentic. And I think there must be something about elders quorum and the way we're doing it right now that makes it hard for those men to know that that's a safe place for them to show up as themselves. I just like to say, you know what? 
we just need to hug it out in elders quorum, you know, let's bring it in. <laughs> yeah. How about down with bro awesome. culture? <laughs> so yeah. uh, luckily we don't have to fix them. Yeah, they can do no, their own thing. No, we don't have to fix them. But, but I, I love think that. that's the beauty of Relief Society. Yeah. One woman being real, and it's like a breath of fresh air. All the women want to be real. Yeah. I have been in Relief Society with Danielle. I went to your ward, and I think the ward had just been split or something. What was it? Like, I it went must, with you this summer. Been, yeah. I remember and you that. were like, I don't know anybody in this room. And so we kind of were just, I was like, okay, good. We're just going to sit here and talk to each other. And then here goes Danielle with their hand. And she's like, I'm just going to share all the things right now. <laughs> and then guess what? Everyone else did. And we left. And that was like such a wonderful lesson. I don't know if you remember that, but I don't remember what the lesson was, but everybody was crying and sharing their hearts. Yeah. And maybe that's also a gift of women that we just need to allow ourselves to have more. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to be seen, be truly seen, seen. to allow it, you know, to be really, yeah. Which is why I love working with women. I love it. And that's why we had our podcast today to talk about Relief Society. (laughs) 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 I'm just kidding. That was kind of a sidetrack. Okay. Well, we are running out of time, but Tara there, we could probably talk a long time about all the wonderful work you're doing. I want to end with this question with your journey and with everything that you've experienced, you're different now than you were 16 years ago. Very, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. What continues to bring you hope in your life? I think that for me, being able to see that Tara from 12 years ago at this point and being able to know that there is this capacity inside of myself to change and to be there and support other people in doing the same thing. But I always tell my kids, I do this work (laughs) so that you can see that there's a different way. Like so many things came to us generationally. So many things came to us as patterns to Curtis and I, that we gave to our beautiful kids. And now is the time when I can say, I do things differently so that you don't have to to go through as many hardships as I did. And yours will be different. Not that you're going to have none, but I think that that's what gives me hope is that I know, I know there's a path and I know that it's better when I'm with God. And that's probably what gives me the most hope knowing that we can change it for the next generation. I don't have to hand all this nasty stuff onto the next. I love that and help to heal the hurt of past generations through stopping the pattern. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Tara. It's beautiful. Thank you, Tara, for sharing everything today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.